time our children ages three to eight years old, you're dismissed for Children's Church downstairs. So you can make your way down there and we will see you a little bit later for the baptismal service. We can have the Children's Church teacher bring them up for the baptismal service. That would be great, whoever that is. Uh, the rest of us, if you can turn to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. We're going to continue in our series in the Gospel of Mark. Jesus is still ministering in Galilee. And uh, we've been in Galilee for a while here. <laughs> but it's really been, it's actually pretty telling how long Jesus was in this area and uh, wasn't in Judea as much. But Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. Uh, this week I read a story of three three old widows. They were all sisters, and they were sitting in their living room downstairs. And I guess they just finished watching Will of Fortune or whatever. And uh, they one of the sisters got ready. She said, "Well, I better head on up to bed." And so she started going up the stairs slowly and slowly. And then she stopped about halfway, and she looked back to her other sister and said, Which, where was I going? Was I going up or was I going down? <laughs> and one of her sisters was just really irritated and said, you were going up to bed. So she just kind of chilled out and she made her way on up to the bed. And then um, the other sister, she got up and she went into the kitchen and said she was going to make a sandwich. And it wasn't very long after she went through the doors of the kitchen, that she said, Sister, what did I come in here for? And then that one sister, that poor poor sister, she was getting so frustrated. And she said, Man, you were going in there to make a sandwich. I mean, I am the only one that can remember things around here. And then she got up and she went to the door and said, Who is it? Whatever. But anyway, I'm a bad comedian. Bad, bad, bad shepherd. All right. But anyway, I thought it was pretty funny. But, you know, it's uh, forgetfulness is uh, sometimes something that we all experience, even you young people like me. Um, Yes. Forgetfulness is not just for one certain age group. A lot of times we can forget when we're tired, when we have a lot on our mind. I know that happens to me. It's not for one specific age group. Actually, it's a common problem for every follower of Christ. And uh, I think about you campers. It's only been one week since we've been home from camp. And we can so easily forget the decisions that we made at camp, can't we? I thought it was very providential that the Lord brought us to this passage this week after we just got back from camp. In Mark chapter 8, we find that Christ's disciples suffer from spiritual amnesia. I titled that my message today, Spiritual Amnesia. A lot of times we can forget what Jesus has done in our lives. We forget the cross, obviously. We can live like He didn't die on the cross for our sins and we can live however we want to and forget that He died and suffered for our sins. We can also forget His care for us when we're going through rough times and we can forget how He has provided for us all those times in the past. And He was so good 
to us. And now we so easily forget when we're when it's hard to live the Christian life. We can forget his coaching. And that's and I, I'm using that to alliterate, but his teaching that he's given us in uh, in life. Oh, I've seen that over and over again. People that have sat in pews just like you in a church and a good Bible believing, Bible preaching church under a sound preacher, a good teacher of the Word of God, and years pass and they they go to a church that is the total opposite of what was taught in that Bible preaching church. You know what I'm talking about. You've seen that. Where they go to a church that doesn't believe that the Bible's inspired anymore or doesn't practice what a New Testament church should practice, according to the book of Acts. We forget the coaching, but not only doctrinal stuff, we even forget the lessons that we've learned in our spiritual life, and we have to relearn those. And so don't be so critical on the disciples today. Okay, You're going to read that and you're going to say, I don't believe they don't get it yet. But you know what? If you're honest before God, you don't get it either sometimes. And maybe you're not getting it right now. And this message is for you. Uh, I read across, I came across this statement. We remember a lot of the things we should forget and we forget a lot of the things we should remember. We remember a lot of the things that we should forget like how someone hurt us and this tragedy in our life, but we, but we forget the things that we ought to remember. Uh, you have every reason, like these disciples, to faithfully follow Christ. He has hopefully worked in your life as Savior, like He did with them. And He has been teaching you by His Holy Spirit. Hopefully, you have received the witness of Christ and you've received Him as your personal Savior like the disciples have. You have received the Word of Christ, the Word of God. I mean, Jesus has worked in your life and you have everything for life and godliness. There's no excuse. It's not your parents' fault. It's not your preacher's fault. If you're not living out the Christian life and you're not following Christ, you know whose fault that is? It's your fault. (laughs) Amen. Thank you. (laughs) It is your fault. And so I'm glad I got one amen on that one. All right. But you have to remember the great things that God has done in your life, that Jesus has done in your life. And this will encourage you in your walk with Christ. It will encourage you to follow Him. It will encourage your faith in Him. And it will encourage your focus on Him. Uh, we're studying verses 1 through 21, so we will move quickly today. All right. 30, 20 minutes to go here. Uh, first of all, when you remember the great things that Jesus has done in your life, you will make yourself spiritually available to Him. Uh, Let's start in verse 1. In those days, the multitude being very great, and having nothing to eat, Jesus called His disciples unto Him, and saith unto them, I have compassion on the multitude, because they have now been with Me three days, and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away fasting to their own houses, they will faint by the way for, for various of them, various kinds of them, came from afar or a distance. And his disciples answered him, From whence came a man um, from whence can a man satisfy these men with bread here in the wilderness? And he asked them, How many loaves have ye? And they said, Seven. And he commanded the people to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves and gave thanks, and brake, and gave to his disciples to set before them. And they did set them before the people. 
And they had a small, and they had a few small fishes, and he blessed them and commanded them to set them also before them. So they did eat and were filled, and they took up of the broken meat that was left seven baskets. And they that had eaten were about four thousand, and Matthew 15 says four thousand men, not including women and children. And it says in verse nine, and he sent them away. Here, Jesus, does, it, does this account kind of sound familiar to you? <laughs> Probably does. If you've been uh, studying the Gospel of Mark with us, when I preached the message on the feeding of the 5,000, that had taken place in Bethsaida, okay, which is on the northeastern shore of the Sea of Galilee. Last week, I preached a message from Matthew 7, where Jesus was on the south, did I say north, southeast? I meant northeast shore of Sea of Galilee. And last week, he was in the Decapolis, the ten cities, if you remember, which was the southeast region of the Sea of Galilee. And so he's in a different area. Instead of being with Jews, he's with Gentiles. He's with non-Jews. And it's completely different. We see in some uh, critics of the Bible say, see here, see here, there's a problem here. See, it's... Really, the feeding of 5,000, again, there's a problem, there's an error, but actually this passage refers to both. We know that there was a feeding of a 5,000 and there was a feeding of the 4,000, and Jesus actually references this in this chapter. There were different amount of, there was a different amount of bread, a different amount of fish, it was different baskets. It was completely different, different people, different occasion altogether. But we see that the disciples still haven't learned the original lesson that Jesus intended them to learn with the feeding of the 5,000. And that was that God doesn't depend on your ability. He depends on your availability. He doesn't depend on your abilities. He depends on your availability. In verses 1 through 3, Jesus is moved with compassion for the crowd um, in comparison to the other occasion. With the feeding of the 5,000, they were just there that day But with these Gentiles, these non-Jews, they had stayed and heard Jesus preach and probably experienced some healings as well for three days. And they had no food. And they traveled from far away. So, I mean, these people are committed people. And Jesus has a heart for them. Aren't you glad that Jesus cares about our needs and He's compassionate towards our needs? And He wants to meet the needs of these people. And He's not just trying to meet the needs of these people. He's really concerned ultimately with the progress of his own 12 disciples that he's training. Because he knows that he's heading to Jerusalem to a cross. And he's preparing these disciples. And and really, we've been following this for some time now in Galilee where he has been focused on his disciples and preparing them for his departure. Just like he's preparing you and me to serve him today. And he focuses now on their progress to see where they're at and are they really learning the lessons that he has already taught them. And in verses 4 through 6, the disciples forget what Christ has done. Uh, Verse 4, they ask this question, Where can a man satisfy these men with bread here in the wilderness? Hello? Okay, when when he was on the shores of Bethsaida, that was... Not inhabitable land. There was no farmland there. It was just rocky shore along the Sea of Galilee. 
And they and Jesus fed 5,000 men plus women and children, close to 15,000 people at least, with um, five loaves and three... Oh, oh, I'm forgetting the amount now because I didn't study that passage. Two, what is it? Five loaves and two fish. Thank you, honey. <laughs> okay? Bible trivia. But anyway, we... Uh, you know, he, he did that miracle. It was awesome. He took their little and he made it so much more. But when they are in the same exact predicament, they're like, how are we going to do it? They totally forgot what Jesus did. Um, the, the same thing happens here as it happened in earlier with the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus takes the bread, the biscuits. He takes the sardines, the little fish. And he gives over and over to the disciples who give to the people. And it's in a tense, the imperfect tense, where it happened in the past, but it happened over and over, indicating it was a miracle in Jesus' hands. And the same word is used, the same verb and mood and tense is used here as well. And Jesus is intent on doing that. Um, So Jesus, you know, they're discouraged by a lack of faith. They forget what Jesus has done. And then they're also discouraged by their own limitations. In verse 5, How many loaves have ye? asked Jesus. And they say, We only have seven biscuits. Okay, We only have seven of these loaves. And then in verses uh, 7 through 9, Jesus miraculously uh, provides and satisfies the people. And get this, He also provides leftovers. Who likes leftovers in here? I like leftovers. And you know what? Jesus, on the occasion of feeding the 5,000 and feeding of the 4,000 here, each time He demonstrates that He will satisfy your needs in life and He will give you more than enough. Amen? But we just got to make ourselves available to Him. And don't allow our limitations to discourage us. Um, here in verses 7 through 9, we see some of the differences. A uh, few fish are provided. He still feeds the 4,000 people. And also, a little different, the baskets that are used here in verse 8. Yeah, verse 8. It's a different Greek word. It's not your little small wicker baskets like the feeding of the 5,000. And you may say, oh, look, Jesus didn't provide as many leftovers. I believe He did. The reason why is because the word for baskets here is hampers. It's actually, it's a different word altogether. So a hamper, like in the book of Acts, the hamper that lowered Paul down when they were planning to kill him, he was lowered in a hamper or a basket down the wall. Do you know what I'm talking about? Okay, read that in the book of Acts if you're not familiar. And so that same word is used here, one that you can fit a person in. Seven huge, large hampers full of leftovers that Jesus provided. And it's just amazing how He does it in different ways. Um, But making ourselves available to Christ when we remember the great things He's done in our life. Uh, I was reminded of Romans chapter 12, verse 1, where it says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, I beg you, brethren, by the mercies of God. When Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes that verse, what he is doing is he is referring to back to the previous 11 chapters of the book of Romans. And if you remember that, the book of Romans, the letter of Romans talks about how 
we can be right with God, how we can be right with ourselves, and we can be right with others. Okay, But you think about how to be right with God. That is what he's talking about when he refers to, I beseech you, I beg you on the basis of the mercies of God, how you were dead in your trespasses and sins, you fell short of the glory of God, but God demonstrated His love toward you in that while Christ, while you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. That you were not able to save yourself, but God provided the way of salvation. And I beseech you by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Romans 12 verse 1 says. That you would offer and make yourself available back to God out of love for the mercies He's shown to you. That you would present your bodies a living sacrifice, not a dead one, but one that lives for Him. Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. So remember the great things He has done and make yourself available to Him and trust not in your abilities, but in His dependability. Okay, number two. When you remember the great things that Christ has done in your life, not only will you make yourself spiritually available, you will live with spiritual assurance. Verses 10 through 11, we run in, we read of His occasion with the Pharisees. It says in verse 10, and straightway or immediately, he entered into a ship with his disciples and came into the parts of Dominutha. So, okay, they're southeast Galilee, gets in a ship, and he goes to Dominutha, which means harbor. And it's and the Gospel of Matthew says that he sailed towards uh, Magdala, like Mary of Magdalene, Mary Magdalene. Okay, she was from that area. That's been found archaeologically. They have found towers there, and they've identified that as Magdala. Okay, it's the northwest coast, close to Gennesaret, Capernaum, that we've read about earlier. Okay, so northwest shore. All right, verse 11. And the Pharisees came forth and began to question him, seeking of him a sign from heaven, tempting him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and saith, Why did this generation seek after a sign? Verily I say unto you, there shall no sign be given to, unto this generation. And he left them, and entering into the ship again, departed to the other side. Again, I believe that Jesus is using this occasion to minister and to prepare his disciples. So I hope that you would join me in viewing this section of Scripture in that same way. Now, when explorers were going to Australia years ago, from England, they would go and explore the outback, and they came across this creature that had a tail like a beaver, a bill like a duck, venom like a snake, lived underwater, laid uh, eggs like a chicken, and they couldn't explain it. Never seen this thing before, and they would. These explorers would go back to England, and they would report this weird animal that they have never seen in their life, never heard writ, written about, and people didn't believe them. They thought it was a hoax. They're like, there is no such animal that exists like that. And so then they go back to Australia, and another explorer brings back the pelt of one of these animals. And again, it has a, beaver, has a tail of a beaver, lays eggs like chicken, have a bill of a duck, um, 
lives underwater, has venom like a snake, weirdest animals, and they show it to them, and they still believe it's a hoax. They still believe you made this up. You put this, you patched a couple of animals together to make this. And you know what animal it was? The platypus. <laughs> okay, it was the platypus that they had found in Australia. A mammal that lives there. Very odd, uh, oddly looking uh, creation. But uh, it proves that uh, it, it, it's the weirdest animal. It proves the design of a creator. And... Uh, uh, and, I, and I'm not going down the, th- the, the line of thinking with the creation evolution I could, but I, I believe that's also a testimony of a creator as well with those kind of things. But anyway, because he would be morphed into like several animals, and that's not what's taught in evolution. Okay, anyway, moving along. But anyway, you know, the point that I'm sharing that with you is the fact that the evidence was presented, <laughs> okay? And they still didn't believe. And in verses 10 through 13, what is the issue uh, that Jesus is confronted with? Jesus had ministered in that northwestern shore in Gennesaret. And the last time he was there in chapter 7, what did he do? He exposed the hypocrisy and the sinful nature of the Pharisees. If you remember that message on uh, the sin that dwells within and, and stuff like that. So just read back over that. Verses 1 through whatever. It starts in verse 1. So... Jesus had really made them mad. They were ticked off. Okay, And so when he goes back to the shores there, they quickly uh, confront him, and they say, if you truly are who you say you are, you provide a sign in the skies. Now, Jesus had healed, he had healed uh, demon-possessed people. He had healed Peter's mother-in-law. He had healed other people of sicknesses, the woman with the issue of blood. He had raised the daughter of Jairus from the dead. And they still didn't believe with all the evidence, with all these earthly miracles. And they said, we will only believe if you show us a sign in the skies, if you bring fire down from heaven, or if you still the sun, or you do some kind of miracle that we've read about in the Old Testament from the skies. And you know what? The same is true with unbelievers today. They have presented with the evidence of God's Word. You know, at camp, uh, they say at Treasure Mountain Bible Camp that creation is God's classroom and we, we study in God's classroom and we study His textbook, the Bible. And you know, we've been given evidence, a conscience. We've been given evidence and creation of His eternal uh, glory and power, uh, His uh, Godhead and power. And... We've have, we actually have the specific revealed Word of God that He's preserved for us. We have seen how God has changed the lives of people, but we still deny it. See, And the unbelievers do at least. And what I believe that Jesus is doing here, let me get to the point, cut to the quick here, is that He's showing how God, that Jesus will not work through unbelief. That when we serve the Lord in unbelief, we limit His working in our lives. And I shared this passage on Wednesday night, and many of you weren't there, but if you will turn to Psalm 78, I do want to refer to it again. And I haven't been, uh, you know, I've been kind of, and this kind of makes me a little uncomfortable uh, in the past because of some things that I have been taught in the past, but it's here in the Bible, and this is something we got to believe. Um, 
It's talking, Psalm 78 is talking about the children of Israel. And uh, let's begin uh, in verse 38. Psalm 78, verse 38. But He, God, being full of compassion, forgave their iniquity and destroyed them not in the wilderness, is what He's talking about. Yea, many a time turned He His anger away and did not stir up all His wrath. For He remembered that they were but flesh. Okay, aren't you glad that God remembers that we're just but flesh? <laughs> I still am but flesh. A wind that passeth away and cometh not again. Verse 40, How often did they provoke God in the wilderness and grieve Him in the desert? Yea, they turned back from God, they tempted God, and limited the Holy One of Israel. I was really convicted about this at camp because the fact is is that a lot of times we as believers, we come to God and we say, you know, God, you're going to work however you're going to work no matter what I do. But God wants us to trust Him and serve Him by faith. And when we don't, we don't go and obey Him by faith, we limit what He really wanted to do in our life. Can God overrule us and still accomplish His purposes? Absolutely. But we, are, we miss out on the blessing of what He wanted us to enjoy if we would have walked by faith. I hope that makes sense to you. Um, in James chapter 1, talks about this in reference to prayer. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God that, that shall give... Excuse me. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not. And it shall be given him, but let him ask in faith. There we go. There's our word. Nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. And let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And so I really believe that Jesus is cutting to the quick that he is showing through how he says, you know what? If you don't believe the, the miracles I've already done in front of you, Pharisees, then I'm leaving. I'm not, I refuse to do any more miracles because you refuse to believe. I've given you all the evidence that you need to believe and you still won't believe. So I'm, I'm, I'm going across the ocean. And I mean the ocean, but the Sea of Galilee. And he does. Okay? And so I believe he is demonstrating how important it is for people to receive his word by faith. To serve him by faith. And you know, it's so easy for us as God's people to doubt the Lord. And to serve him with doubts. To serve him in a double-minded way. We're thinking about, oh man, but I want to I wanna be on this team. And that's not a bad thing. But we live for that and we try to live for God at the same time. And we get our priorities all mixed up like we were talking about in Sunday school. You know, that we live for possessions and we live for pleasure or convenience. We live for prosperity and for positions in life. And we're just all scattered, you know. And God wants us to put our trust in Him and to have assurance in Him. And when we remember the great things He's done, we can live with assurance. And I, I can only... The same is true, and this has come up and up in my mind as I've been preaching this morning, about assurance of your salvation. There might be some in here today that, you know, you're not sure if you're saved. Can I encourage you to think about what are you putting your, the object of your faith in? What is the object of your faith? If you stood before God and, and, and He said, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? Well, I was baptized in such and such church. Or, you know what? My goods outweigh my bad. 
Or, you know, I was baptized as an infant. I was baptized as an adult. I went to the Baptist church. I know that I must be worthy enough to go to heaven. And Jesus is going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. Your faith has to be in Jesus and Jesus alone. And He died on the cross for your sins. And if and your confidence has to be in Him. Josiah, excuse me for using you as an illustration. But after Josiah was saved, what, at six years old, right? And I remember about a year or two after that, he came up to me and said, Dad, I'm not sure if I prayed the right prayer. And I was able to talk to him. And you know what? Young people do struggle with that. Adults struggle with that. I'm not sure if I prayed it the right way. I'm not even sure. I think you said, I'm not sure if I said amen at the end of my prayer. And, you know, it was cute. You know, And I was able to talk to him about that. But you know what? What was his faith in as I talked to him? He said, oh, my faith is in Jesus and that He died on the cross for my sins. And you know what? That's what your confidence has to be put in. It's not in how you prayed. It's not in what church you attended. It's not any work that you've done in and of yourselves. But it's by grace are you saved through faith. And if you're struggling with assurance of salvation and you have trusted in Christ, maybe you have forgotten something that Jesus has done for you. And you're doubting that. And the question is, why are you doubting that? Is there sin in your life? Is there deceit in your life? I encourage you to settle that matter today. All right, in verses 14 through 21, quickly. Um, when, G- when you remember the great things Christ has done, you'll serve Christ with spiritual attention. Verse 14. Now, the disciples had forgotten to take bread. Now, I'm going to save some time here and just point out. They had seven hamperfuls of leftovers, okay? And they forget to bring any of it. on the boat. They don't bring any of that with them. Okay, verse 14, Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread, neither had they in the ship with them more than one biscuit or one loaf. And He charged them, Jesus charged them, saying, Take heed, pay attention, be aware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the leaven of Herod. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It is because we have no bread. And when Jesus knew it, He saith unto them, Why reason ye, because ye have no bread? Perceive ye not, neither understand. Have ye not heart? uh, Have have ye your heart yet hardened? Verse 18, Having eyes, see ye not. And having ears, hear ye not. And do not ye remember? When I break the five loaves among the five thousand, how many basketful of fragments took ye up, class? Twelve. All right? That's exactly how he's treating his disciples. And when the seven among four thousand, how many baskets full of fragments took ye up? Class seven is what they say. And he said unto them, How is it that ye do not understand? They were living for bread alone. I'm going to just cut to the quick here. They were living for bread alone and not by the Word of God. That's a little reference from Matthew 4. Um, when Jesus is tempted by Satan. But that's exactly what these disciples were living. They were living for earthly things. They were living for their next meal. They were living for their next excitement, their next pleasure, their next position in life, their next prosperous adventure. They were living for that next thing here in this life. And they totally forgot what Jesus had done. Their focus was all in the wrong place. 
Um, their lack of spiritual attention was detrimental. Verse 17, it caused a lack of unity. They were arguing with one another. When churches have schisms, when they have fights in the church, you know it's not because that person's a jerk. I didn't mean to point that way. This person's a jerk. All right, no one's over here. Uh, but that person's a jerk. That person hurt me, you know. Uh, you know why that happens? Because you have your focus off Christ. You know why churches split? Because they get their focus off Christ. It's on each other. It's on themselves. It's on someone's selfish agenda in the church. It caused also a lack of understanding in verse 17. He was trying to warn them of the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod. Just quickly, leaven, you can't see. It's like a little germ. I don't understand all of it. My wife does. But you put it in dough, I think. Right? And then it like grows and it feeds off the dough or something like that. And anyway, it grows and expands, you know. It's like a silent growth. You know, you don't say, ooh, there's yeast. You know, I don't, at least I don't know. I'm not very, I'm not a baker. My wife is a, my, I'm just the dough boy, right? So anyway, we're sitting here and I'm enjoying this and I love, I love yeast to an extent now. And, uh, if you're gluten intolerant, I guess you don't. But, you know, they lack understanding. They're thinking, Wow, he's talking about the bread we forgot. But what he was talking about was the silent and subtle influence of the Pharisees. And he's specifically talking about what he talked about in chapter 7, their hypocrisy. And then he mentions Herod. And quickly, Herod sympathized with the Romans. He lived, you know, as we talked about in um, Mark. Uh, I can't remember the chapter right now, but you remember Herod. Uh, Antipas and how he beheaded John the Baptist. He took his brother's wife, you know, living immoral, all that kind of stuff, worldliness, okay? Worldliness and immorality. And what he's warning them is beware. Be aware of the threat of hypocrisy and of immorality and worldliness. But they're thinking, oh no, we forgot all those leftovers. You know, they're just like totally a miss. Jesus is way up here and they're down here. Okay, just two different levels altogether. And so they lack understanding because their attention was in the wrong place. Then verses, the last part of verse 17 into verse 18, they lack uh, sensitivity to what Jesus is saying. They have ears, uh, yet they do not hear. They have eyes and they don't see. And then they also lack memory. And he talks, he asks them those questions. Don't you remember how many fragments was it after we fed the 5,000? How many fragments did we have left over after I fed the 4,000? He jogs their memory because their attention was all in the wrong place. And our lack of focus will limit our spiritual understanding as well. And if you're not growing in your faith, it may be that your focus is in the wrong place. Maybe it's on whatever and you're not making time for God's Word. And you're not growing in your faith because you won't give His Word the time of day. Uh, when you focus on the great things Christ has done, you'll serve Him with spiritual awareness. We can easily forget what God has done in our life, and we have every reason. We have every reason to follow Christ. Just like the disciples. You are not spiritually retarded. Okay? I, I, don't, I don't mean that in a discriminatory or... Okay? But you are not. You are not spiritually slow. You don't have to be. Okay? You don't have to have spiritual amnesia because Christ has given you everything for life and godliness. He has done so many great things in your life in teaching you, 
If you're a Christian, He saved you. You have His Word. So do something about it. Remember the great things He hath done, and it will affect your life. You will make yourself available to Him. You will live with assurance in Him, and you will live with your attention on Him. Every eye closed, every head bowed. Every head bowed and eyes closed. And I just want to challenge you this morning to examine your own life as the Holy Spirit has been working around the pianist. Just play through a verse of two, verse or two. Uh, Lisa, you can go ahead and get ready if you want to be dismissed for that. But um, I encourage you during this time to respond to the Lord. As she plays, maybe you just need to get on your knees and you need to talk to the Lord in the pew right there with you. The Lord has brought something to your mind where you need to deal with Him. You've gotten your focus off of Him. Uh, you have uh, not made yourself available to Him. Maybe you're doubting. Maybe you need to uh, deal with some doubts in your life. and Maybe you just need to go and talk to the Lord about it. Maybe you need to talk to someone here. As the piano plays, if you would respond to the Holy Spirit, get on your knees and talk to the Lord. I'm up front if you need to talk to me. Let's respond to the Word of God. Maybe you need to make a decision for Christ. Maybe you need to be baptized. Maybe you need to join a local church and you have been saved and baptized as a believer. You make that decision. You talk to the Lord. Brother Gary's going to lead us in a couple of hymns.